Welcome, friends, to my lovely, crazy life. I'm your host, Amanda Preston. I'm a mom of eight talking about adoption, foster care, and special needs. Join me each week as we dive into the messy, fill up your cup, and refresh your soul. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. We have the privilege today of interviewing Derek Hamer, who was adopted from Kenya at the age of six and moved to the United States and is an adult international transracial adoptee. He's got some valuable insight to share that is just going to be so helpful for those parents who are either considering adopting or currently raising a child and are now living in a transracial family. So I hope you enjoy the show and I hope that it provides a lot of information and tools to help move forward. Derek, thank you so much for coming on our show today. I think you're going to have so much knowledge and insight to share with our listeners that they're just going to find so valuable. We really appreciate you coming today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I love, yeah, I know. I love talking about transracial adoptions. I, just, I mean, I love telling really all parts of my story. Um, and so I'd say the one thing that I just want to convey to everyone is that I'm coming from like my experience. And so anything that I say today isn't going to apply to everyone. Um, so I really like I've learned that I'm I know the most of my story so that's really all I can do is tell my story and then if it helps someone then that's great thank you that's such an important reminder so for those of you who have tuned in today we are talking about transracial adoption so Derek can you start by telling us just a little bit about who you are and how adoption is woven into your story yes so I'm Derek I'm Derek Hamer Um, I was actually born in Kenya um, 21 years ago. I'm 21 now. Lived in Kenya, a uh, broken family. Um, ended up living on the streets for about a year, year, a year and a half, two years. Um, and then around the age of five and a half, I ended up meeting my parents, uh, my uh, adoptive parents. And I was able to come, me and my brother. Um, I had a younger brother who uh, actually at the same time that I was living on the streets, I was actually caring for him while also living on the streets. And so I was kind of doing the double duty, I guess, being a parent, also trying to survive myself. Um, so then we got adopted and uh, then moved to California. And yeah, and so since we moved there, adoption's been huge in our family. Um, it's just, yeah, adoption is something that we just love and it's something super passionate. Our whole family is passionate about. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in a transracial family? Yeah. Uh, I think it definitely had, uh, there was definitely great things about it. Um, also some messy parts we had to navigate. Um, I think uh, one of my fondest memories was when we first moved, uh, got adopted to America, was going out to dinners um, and constantly having people stare at us. Um, and that was always interesting to me looking back. And I was just, I mean, I guess as a younger child, I didn't think much of it. And when I got older, I realized living a transracial family means people are going to look at you differently. Um, so that means really uh, everywhere you go, people are going to stare at you. People are going to look at you. Um, whether you'd be in a store and something would happen and you you'd have a rip roaring fit or something and get carried out of the store, people are, are looking people. Um, so yeah, it's a transracial family, people are always looking at you. And that, that's something I always uh, knew growing up, especially something I looked back on and it's like, wow, yeah, people <laughs> looked at us all the time. And, and then as I got older, I realized, wow, there's also some really other different hard parts about it. Because you get older and you try to figure out who you are while also trying to navigate 
the way the world is perceiving you. I remember when I first moved to Washington after living in California for a while, I moved up here and the first day of school, I get off the bus, my mom's coming over to greet me. And rather than me coming and walking right to her, I walked right by her. First, she was confused. She didn't know what was happening. She was like, why, why did you do that? So later we talked about it and she asked me, Derek, what was that all about? You really hurt my feelings. I told her mom, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I just wanted to let you know that uh, moving here, all I wanted to do was just be a normal kid. Um, I didn't want to have to tell everybody about my adoption story because uh, mom, as soon as I got off the bus and everyone saw that I was with you, that you were my mom, all, automatically other questions would, would begin. It asked, oh, so you're adopted. What does adoption look like? Why are you adopted? What happened to your parents? So it asked me all these questions that really I didn't want to answer, right? I didn't want to answer that on the first day of school. I just wanted to make friends. And so um, as time went on, I realized, wow, yeah, I'm going to be perceived differently. I'm going to be looked at differently. I'm going to have to answer different questions. That, and quite frankly, it was questions I had no idea to, right? The question of who my parents are, I have no idea. And so yeah, there's definitely some hard parts about it, for sure. So the race piece really took away the privacy of your adoption story? Yeah, 100%. I think that for sure took the way the privacy, I think that uh, whether it's uh, a good uh, like people did it on purpose or not, um, I just thought, uh, I, I realized that people were always going to look at you. Uh, people were always going to, and people always felt like, oh, I could ask you whatever question I want to. Uh, I don't think it was always appropriate, but people just for some reason felt that, yeah, I can ask you any question, really questions that you'd never ask someone first time meeting them. Uh, they, people felt I can ask these questions. So it sounds like a lot of boundaries were crossed. <laughs> Yes, 100%. Yeah, I felt that yeah, people cross boundaries all the time. It actually took my mom having to at times say, yeah, no, it actually it's not appropriate. You don't need to ask that. Or he doesn't have to answer that if you don't want to. And then as I got older, I realized myself, oh, yeah, I don't have to answer these questions. People can ask me all these things I don't need to ask. I mean, I always had trouble with it because I wanted to be friends with everyone. I was just loved hanging out with people. And so there were times when even myself would allow that boundary to be crossed without stopping it. But then the older I got, I realized, yeah, I need to put a stop to this. I can't allow people to just ask whatever they want. And I don't have to answer whatever they ask. Mm, that's smart. That's wise advice for other people who are raising their own kids and trying to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah, exactly. So what are some things that your parents did that you felt helped embrace your culture or race when you were growing up? Yeah, I think that to me, one of the best things ever happened to uh, my brother and I, is when we were living in California, we had a African-American family who moved down the street from where we lived. And so that was a huge help for us because it helped, it helped us to be able to do things that we normally wouldn't have done living in a white family, from uh, lighting up our hair, putting on lotion. These are things that are seen in like the Black culture. And so it, took, it helped having African-American family move in because then that allowed us to, I mean, we could spend time at that house and the, the dad would uh, cut our hair. Uh, they'd tell us, put on lotion, right? These things that you wouldn't necessarily see as important all the time in a white family was definitely brought out by having uh, our friends move into the neighborhood. And then they helped us to be able to see other things that um, I think at this time, my mom definitely realized, oh, wait, like Derek and Reggie, they're going to be seen differently. Um, and so I... And that came from hearing stories from our friends of some of the things that happened to them. And so my parents realized, oh, we need to raise them differently. We're going to raise them differently. And so from that point on, we 
became important to do our hair, became important to um, put on lotion, things like that. And then as we got older, uh, my parents also decided to surround us around um, uh, friends of ours who are also black and had gone through some experiences. I remember, I want to say middle school, and we had a friend who came over and was telling us about times he'd get pulled over by the police. And how do you respond to such a thing? And he had my brother and I line up and he'd say, all right, pretend I pulled you over. What do you do? And if we got it wrong, he'd say, nope, all right, do it over, do it again. Uh, things like put your hand on the wheel, say, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Just things that my parents never thought, oh, this is, I have to teach my white kids this, right? And so that became, that 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 was super important being able to have influences around us. I think my parents would admit that they let us listen to rap music a little younger than most people, but they also felt that growing up, we were going to be perceived as uh, African-Americans and as an African-American rap music is part of the culture. And so there was, it helped to be able to surround us around the culture. And I'd say it was more so our older brothers who allowed us to listen to the music, not necessarily our parents. Our parents kind of were like, yeah, because they even were advocating the importance of knowing our culture. Uh, because I felt, uh, I feel like it's super hard because I'm actually not African-American, but again, the world perceives me in America. I'm perceived as African-American, even though I'm African while also living in a white family. And so it was important to be able to try to eliminate a lot of the questions that people would ask. That's amazing that you had some of those opportunities, though. I don't think that some of those things you mentioned, particularly about the police, white people would even have any idea to uh, teach their kids about or know about. I mean, we're coming a long way and a lot of people have started to talk about some of these topics, but that's very cool that you had that opportunity to learn that. Yeah, it was. And I mean, again, it took my parents realizing that we don't know much about raising black children and so we need help. And so to them, they saw the importance of having influences around us who were able to help us. And my parents were able to see through their stories and the things they had lived out. I mean, my parents would, they would tell us, yeah, you may be respectful to police, but it was way more powerful when you heard from an African-American who'd get pulled over simply for driving a few miles over the speed limit, right? That kind of woke them up and said, okay, this is important. We need to surround them around people who can help them with this. And is there anything that you wish growing up that your parents had done differently? I mean, I always say I wish I would have gone to more diverse school. And I still believe that. I remember when I went into college a couple of years ago, I went to, I was, went into a community college and one of the coolest things was being in a school where I wasn't the minority, right? Like there was just, it was so diverse. And so um, I think growing up, I always went to school. I was, there was times that I was one of the only few kids in uh, my classes who were black or even in the school who were black. It always became hard for me. I mean, examples would be whenever we'd talk about slavery or we'd read a book about black people, everybody would always look at me and I felt super uncomfortable. And so it would have, I think it helped, for me, it would have helped me a little bit more if I lived in a more diverse community or even just more diverse school. That would have really been super helpful for me. Uh, see, I always tell my parents, I wish, I wish that we could have done that. And they even admitted now that, yeah, they had to do it all over again. They'd move in a more di diverse community just so that, again, we have more of those influences around us. Mm, that makes sense. That's actually really good advice for people who are in the process or already have young kids on how they determine what school to pick for their kids. Yes. 
Did you ever experience as a child privilege that went away once you were an adult and on your own? I read a lot that some adoptees um, as a kid, they experienced a privilege where they could go into a store, for example, and not feel like everyone was staring at them or, you know, because they had their white parents with them or that type of thing. And then once they became adults, they kind of entered this new world where they were they weren't protected per se, by that white privilege of their parents, because then they were on their own. I think a a lot of adoptive parents aren't necessarily aware of that piece. So I'm wondering if that's something that you experienced, if this is kind of common across the board, that there's this shift once you're not in your family at all times, and you're kind of on your own in the world. Yeah, but what's super interesting is I've actually felt it happen to me before I even entered adulthood. I think one, uh, I mean, because you can, I think, you have elementary school where you know it's kind of okay. Your parents are there with you, and then middle school is kind of the when you start to kind of I guess branch out and be on your own. And the first time that it really happened to me, and yeah, I've had other experiences I can talk about in a second, but the first time it really happened to me was, in, uh, I'd say in elementary school, I always loved wearing my hood. I always loved having my hands in my pocket. I just I get cold easily, so that was the thing that I always did. It was never a problem. And then in middle school, I remember, uh, remember weird day where I got off the bus, had my hood on, had my hands in my pocket. I go over and shake hands. Um, he was a white kid, shake hands with him. Uh, we walk away. And then later I go into my classes and about third period, I get a note uh, sending me to the principal's office. And I rarely ever went to the principal's office. If I went to principal's office, it was because we were talking about, we were talking about something, like it wasn't, I never did anything bad. And so I get sent into the principal's office. And actually, at the time in the middle, in the middle school, uh, the, uh, the vice principal was the one that kind of did the disciplinary. And so I get sent in, and I'm not going to the principal. I'm going to the vice principal. And I'm thinking, okay, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. This is not good. And everybody kind of knew. If you go to the vice principal, you're probably in trouble. And so I go and I sit down, and I'm wondering what's happening. And uh, the lady looks at me and says, uh, so do you want to tell me what happened this morning? I'm trying to think back to what happened this morning. You know, it's third period now. I have half of the day happens. I'm thinking this morning. Yeah. When you got off the bus, I said, what do you mean? Did you give something to Jim? We'll just use. And I said, no, she said, it sure looked like you did. So what are you talking about? I said, hi, Jim. When I got off the bus, he goes, okay. And so I left and went and finished off the rest of the day. And then I went home that night and I, after dinner, I was like, hey, mom, dad can tell you something and told them what had happened. And they looked to me and they said, she said that to you? I said, yeah. Like they thought that I was doing something illegal. Like they thought that I handed them drugs or something. And so the very next day, <clears throat> my mom calls school and she went to talk in this principal's office and she's livid. And she's calling and yelling at her and telling her just really how inexcusable that is. Like that is not okay that she would assume that and that if really if it was any other kid that wasn't black, she would never in her bright mind thought that the middle schooler was handing out drugs in the middle of the where the middle of the open where everyone could see. And so uh, later I get called in to the principals again and she apologizes and says, I wanna say I'm sorry for what I did. I shouldn't have assumed that you were doing something illegal. But that was like the very first time that I realized, whoa, like I'm not gonna be seen differently as really as as I was in elementary school. Um, and as I got older, I realized the same thing. I mean, again, I 
elementary school young kid, I could go into the store. People would be like, oh, look, it's a cute kid. Put my hands in my pocket, hood on. Fine. Again, growing up, high school, I remember going to the store with my brother uh, and uh, my sister-in-law. We went to the store. It was like an office max, and they had one of the security guards. The security guard continued to follow us from row to row to row. And finally, my sister-in-law goes to the front and says, hey, uh, is there a reason the security guard was following uh, me and my brother-in-law, brothers, the whole store? And uh, she, he says, oh, no, we always we always do something like that. She says, yeah, but they, she, uh, he followed us from row to row. Says, yeah, yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing. He said, they didn't follow anyone else. And so she goes, hey, can I please get the number of your manager or whatever? And so she called the manager and kind of explained. And a couple of days later, they called. They wanted to apologize. But they meant nothing of it. But again, that was another example of it. And so uh, from there, I learned that I could actually, I'll go to a store. And the way I'm perceived, the way I'm seen is me walking with my hands and pocket my hood on. It looks suspicious, right? Regardless of how I feel, it looks suspicious. And so I, I learned that when I get in a store, or even before I get into the store, if I have my hood on, hands in my pocket, I take my hood off, hands out of the pocket, so everyone can see. Um, that was just something that I always, I always did. I um, mean, I felt like, to me, I felt like, well, I feel like it's a little unfair, or whatever. But it's just kind of the way society is. Something that I do all the time. Um, whenever I'm driving, I, I guess when I was 16, I could drive and to be some things off with my car. Uh, if there, I had a light off, whatever. I was made like I was like okay it's off but now that I'm 21 and getting older I can't give them anybody any reason to pull me over and so things even things like that where I could do something when I was younger but now that I'm older really I really can't do it anymore. Well, my next question was actually just on this and how racism played a role in your life and how it was addressed and so that's very cool to hear that your mom responded that way to your middle school um, incident of racism. There is that first time that you remember experiencing that or did it ever happen at an earlier age yeah when i first moved to uh america when i first got adopted to america i was in kindergarten class and i was playing with the kids and uh, there was one particular kid who really wouldn't play and every time i'd come in to play he'd step out and watch just watch i was confused i was, didn't know what was happening and as the day went on i kept playing and um, i invited him to come play because uh, I, I wanted him to play I noticed he wasn't playing and he uh, looked at me and actually he said uh, actually I'm not allowed to play with you my parents says, my parents say I'm not allowed to play with brown mm-hmm. kids and so I think from that day on I realized like then again I was in kindergarten so didn't realize too much I think as I got older I looked back on that story and I was like hmm, that was the very start of the racism and racism doesn't even have to be necessarily from someone yelling the n-word or something it can be just something simple like that that a kid picks up from the parents a kindergartner who probably doesn't even know what racism is but he's just saying what he hears his parents say and so yeah i think that was the very first time that i'd experienced something oh, like wow. that i can't even imagine so another question that i have for you today is did you have any role models or professionals in your life growing up that you looked up to that looked like you i know you mentioned that you had the neighbors down the road were there any other particular uh, role models or, you know, did you get to go to a black hairdresser or a black doctor or were there any types of people in your life that looked like you that you got to see in that way? Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, I always, uh, I realized I was different. Um, like my hair and everything. And there was a point in period actually where I wanted to be 
like my older brother. I wanted to have hair like him. I wanted to skin like him. And I think for me, it was just more, I think I was more addressing the, oh, I don't want to be different. And so at the time I was like, yeah, I want to have hair like him. And so I remember I was watching TV. I was watching all these uh, like black people on TV. And I was looking at their hair. I was looking at that and I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Like their hair is amazing. Like that's, that's what I want. They said, Derek, you can, you can do that. Like, look, your hair, your hair can do so much more than like, my hair can do. And I was like, whoa, that is cool. And so I started embracing that part of like, wow, my hair is cool. I'm unique. I can do certain things. And then even when I'd go to uh, get lined up, uh, I realized, well, I can do different things to my hair, things that like other people would do. Like if a white person does certain things, their hair kind of just looks goofy, but I could do it and it looks super cool. Um, so then I started going to like uh, black barber shops and I'd go into black barber shops and uh, just talking to the black people in there. I could talk to them about certain things and it's people who were like me, people who liked a lot of the similar things I liked. And so that I started to embrace that part of it. Um, then I started watching sports and started uh, looking to see the kind of things that uh, the kind of way they have their hair. Um, and then I'd watch more I'd watch sports and then be like, whoa, they're fast. I can I can play sports like that. And so that's when I really started to embrace really the who I am. That's very cool to know that there were those options out there and to see people out there that were just like you. Yeah, and I, it was to me it was just so cool because I could then embrace that. I could be like, whoa, like I could I can do my hair like this. Yeah, it was to me it was just like yeah, I, I, it was awesome. I think that's what really was the turning point of really embracing the who I am. And growing up, were you also given books that represented Black people, toys, that sort of thing that looked like you? Yeah, uh, my parents did do that. My parents did. We read lots of books on Black people. I think that helped to be able to see, like, yeah, there's people who are like you, right? I remember when Obama became president, we got one of those books that was like, uh, that told the story of his life. And I was like, whoa, that's super cool. Um, I have like a bunch of Jackie Robinson books, I had like Jackie Robinson posters. And so that really, to me, helped a lot to be able to see that, uh, whoa, like there's athletes who are like me, there's, you can be a politician who are like me. That really helped. Uh, we played with toys and we had like bobbleheads of different athletes who were black. Um, that really, that was super helpful for us. Oh, that's great. Thank you. My last yeah. question for you today, then, is what do you want adoptive parents to know about raising a child in a transracial family? If there was one piece of advice that you could give them to really raise that child well? I think that there's lots of different things you can do. There's books. There's, you, know, you can see different uh, movies. You can read different articles. But I think the number one thing that you have to do and you must do is you have to take your child through therapy. I'm learning as a 21-year-old just how much therapy has helped me come to the place I am right now to be able to help me understand the who I am. If young age, I learned, well, maybe actually middle school, when there would be times when I wouldn't want to go to therapy, my parents would make me go to therapy. And a lot of people are like, whoa, you made them go to therapy? Yeah, they made me go to therapy. And I look back and I said, and I would do it all over again. Like that's, you have to, you have to send them to therapy. My parents would threaten to take away sports, things I loved if I didn't go through therapy. And so I think the number one thing parents have to do is you have to take your child through therapy uh, because I think there's a lot of times uh, and you're not going to always find the right therapist right away like we took years to find the right therapist so we saw therapists once who we'd go in and I'd tell start telling my story for some reason you'd always laugh and so my mom was like yeah I don't know if this is we played tic-tac-toe and laugh so we didn't feel like we were getting anything done and eventually we ended up finding 
the right therapist who I was super comfortable sharing things with, uh, things that I wouldn't necessarily share with my parents right away. And so I think you you have to do that. You have to take away sports, take away something they love. You have to do you have to do therapy. I believe that with all my heart. That's the number one thing you could do for your transracial adoption. Thank you. That's actually amazing advice. And I don't think it's usually the go-to piece of advice that a lot of adoptive parents hear out there. So thank you. That's really valuable for them. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. This has been so valuable so that parents can just get an inside look at, at what it is like to grow up in a transracial family and hopefully give them a bit of information on how to move forward themselves so that we can really start to change the way that parents are raising kids when they're from another uh, background and coming into a white family. So this has been really helpful. Yeah, thank you so much. I think that it's one of those where, you know, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be trials and errors. You can do things. My parents did things that were right. And other things that they look back and I can't believe they did that. Um, but I think the encouragement to you guys is that, you know what? You're doing great. Just, you started by adopting. I think that's great. Uh, keep up the good work. And then don't be afraid to use resources around you, whether it's having living in a more diverse community, having people who look more like your children around you uh, to be able to help you. I think that's, that's super important also. Um, and then also, if you don't have anything in March 6th and 7th, come to Refresh. I think that's a super great conference that can help. Again, you meet other people who are struggling with some of the things you are, and you look around and say, wow, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, again, encouragement is you can do it. You're doing great. So- Derek is actually speaking at Refresh. I have uh, saw you listed. Are you coming there this year? I will. Speaking, oh, great. Yeah. So if you guys want to see him in person, you can come out there. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast this week. Be sure to tune in next week for more exciting episodes and learn more on adoption, foster care, and special needs. And be sure to check us out on social media, Instagram, My Lovely Crazy Life AP, and our website, mylovelycrazylife.com. And please share and help us spread the word of our new podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to chatting with you next week.